Hello. Thank you for joining us today for the Harvest Time Church weekly podcast. As you listen today, we pray that you are richly blessed and that the message would guide you deeper into your walk with Jesus and help you to advance His kingdom here on earth. Have a blessed day. You know, I think uh, if we do church right, we'll send many. You know, I, th- I think sometimes that, that, that short-sightedness or that, that big-picture vision of what God really wants to be in the heartbeat of the church is to just retain all the gifts, all the skills, all the talented people, and to just keep them all for your, for your good. But, you know, we, we've often said that we want Harvest Time Church to be a training ground where we send out to all the nations of the world, right, in our community, all of those things that, that, are, that are important to the heart of God, not necessarily focused on the agenda of man, Right? You know, I think sometimes we can get, like I said, that, that nearsighted to where if we have the most pieces, we win. If we have the church with the most people, we win. Right? You know, that perspective of just that carnal way of thinking. But I think that, 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 that knowing, that growing and going, to us, that is the pinnacle of success. I know I had somebody ask me a long time ago, they said they were praying about work or moving and different things like that. And they said, well, you know, we might be moving, you know, and that may change, you know, our involvement, or that may change, you know, wanting to invest in that person. I said, why would I stop investing in you? I says, as long as it expands the kingdom, I'm in. It's not just about harvest time. It's about the kingdom. It's always a bigger perspective at play, right? Um, so this morning we are looking at our, our, we're in week two of our people series. And, um, you know, uh, last week we focused uh, on, on the focus point of people matter. Right? I hope that if you listen to the message, if you were here last week, you walked away saying people are important. Why? Because people are important to God. That's the, that was the number one focus point. We want to focus on people and care about people because God cares about people. You know, the people series, it focuses on knowing who. You know, and I think it's really cool how Laura kind of weaved that in there of who you are as sons and daughters of God. Right? So this morning, we're going to look at the focus of, uh, of realizing that God chose you. Okay, so you have to understand if God chooses you, he also purposes you for a plan and a purpose. In that choosing, there is a commission to go. In that choosing, there is a commission to follow. When God chooses us, it's not a passive thing. As we look at these scriptures, you'll realize that God chooses you, but it requires action on your part to respond to that that choosing. Have you ever tried to get your kid motivated to go somewhere and they just drop their weight and you're just dragging them? You know, I think some of us like that. We're like that to God sometimes. We're reluctant to, to, to follow. You know, and I think that, thank God that there's those moments that he just grabs us by the leg and he just says, you're going to go one way or the other, right? But, you know, it works so much better when, when, he, when he chooses us and we willfully what? Follow. We willfully cooperate to the big picture of what God's wanting to do. So we're going to look at realizing that God chose you. 1 Peter 2, 9 through 10. This is going to be the framework for this whole series. Uh, In the NIV, it says, but you are a what? Chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of the darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are a people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. So as, as we search out the who part of, of, of this people series, it's important to know that God has chosen you. He chose you. 
Okay? Can you wrap your mind around that concept for a minute that God would choose me and God would want me? Now, I think most of us, we, we really, we, we say it, but we don't understand it. We say it, but we don't feel it. We say it, but sometimes we can't even believe it. Because I think we look, we look at it in a, in a carnal-minded way. That how, how many of you live off of merit? If you have a good day and you don't sin today, God loves you more. Let's go to the other side. Well, I kind of messed up, Pastor Noah. I did some things I shouldn't have. My mouth got the best of me. My anger maybe come out and you come over here. Well, God doesn't love me as much today as he did that other day that I didn't sin. It's conditional love. Right? If I do good, then God likes me. If I do bad, then God hates me. You know, this, you know God's perception of us is established from the womb. Before we even, before our heart began to form or begin to beat, that God thought of us, He chose us, He wanted us, He designed us with a purpose and a plan. But think about that, God choosing you. You know, God sees our imperfections and flaws and, and even our sin. But do you know that He doesn't treat us as our sins deserve? Psalms 103.10, it says, He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquity. Praise God for that. If He gave us what we deserved, it would be a bad day. Let's say God said, you know what, I'm going to give you, buddy, what you deserve today fall down like they did in the Old Testament. Lord, please have mercy. You know, I'm talking about be bad, right? If God really gave us what we deserved. If he loved us according to our sinful nature. Right? Let's let's think about this. You know, if, if, if we sin, he doesn't love us. If we're righteous, then he loves us. It's not how it works. If we're sealed with the blood of Christ, he sees us as his chosen people. Loved, forgiven. That's the only way he can walk in, not giving us what we deserve and not repaying us what our iniquities are so deserving of. I think, in, when, when, I think when God looks at us, our perspective is that he looks at us and, and, and he sees the sin. But you know what Father God sees when he looks at me and you as a son and daughter of the king? He sees the blood of Christ that purifies and sanctifies and makes you holy, set apart, makes you acceptable in the sight of God. Now, that don't mean you're perfect, right? Don't, don't, don't go too far to the one side or the other says, oh, I, my walk is blameless if there's sin in your life. Thank you for the grace of God, and I, and I pray that you approach the throne of grace with fear and trembling, and you allow God to work that process out in you. But, but allow the blood to just saturate you. But He chose you. He loved you. He wanted you. Romans 5.8, it says, But God demonstrated His own love for us in this, that while we were still yet sinners, Christ died for us. So in a sense, Christ choosing to die for us was choosing us. You know, I think God and, and Jesus were in heaven. They said, man, what do we got to do to, 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 to get these chosen ones to have reconciliation with them? It was going to cost the ultimate price. And I think Jesus said, man, I'll go. He knew that it would be worth it. Was it easy? No. Was it convenient? No. Was it costly? Absolutely. But he chose us. He saw you as great. He saw you with great value. 
You know, this passage always amazes me because it, it was those moments in our life that we really didn't have a lot of righteousness. We didn't really have anything of value that we could offer to God, but yet He still chose us. I, I think sometimes in my, in my prideful, arrogant mind, there's times that my, in my life now where I'm like, okay, God, I know why you like me now. But the Scripture says that while we were still far off, while we were still sinful, when we had no relationship and we didn't even yet choose Him, He chose us. He loved us in our ugliest, filthiest state. Amen? I mean, that, that's a great hope and that's a great promise. Yeah, God loves pretty messed up people. Look to the person you left and say, hey, you are one. Come on, lighten up, guys. You turn, that air, turn that heat off so you guys won't fall asleep. We're okay? Come on. Hey, man, this is a great testimony of God choosing us, God loving us. He desires us. He wants us. So I don't know if you've ever played kickball or you've played up a pickup game sport where you have two team captains. You know how it goes, right? You know, two team captains, they flip a coin, figure out who goes first, and they start picking their team, right? How many of you know how it feels to be picked first? Elias, guy raised his hand, buddy. All right. Uh, you know, so, so to, to when, you pick, when you get picked first, you feel pretty good about yourself. You're like, hey, you know, I feel pretty good. I got picked first. How do you feel if you're on the other side of that and you were picked dead last? What, what is your perspective? What do we usually say? Well, there was nobody else to pick, so you got stuck with me. And I think sometimes that's our perspective of being on God's team, of being selected by God. But you know what? I've come to the place in my life, I don't care if I was picked first or if I was picked last. As long as I'm on his team, I don't care. See, because we'll get jealous of somebody. Well, this person got picked first. I don't care. I just want to be on his team. Right? I think sometimes, but sometimes we'll be so disappointed, we'll be so frustrated, we'll be so irritated that somebody went in first that, that, it, that it's not fair. And then we get this poor me attitude. You had to pick me because I was the last one. Well, there's a parable in Matthew 20, 1 through 6. It talks about the parable of the workers in the vineyard. And how this story goes, he gets up early, early in the morning. Now, some of us don't, aren't early chickens, right? We don't get up early. So you wouldn't be on the street even yet looking for work. But it says he got up early in the morning and he walked and he began to hire those. And he said, hey, come work in my vineyard. Started at 8 o'clock, then 9 o'clock, then noon, then 3. So he began to hire all of them. And he even went in the late, late evening and he said, hey, you know, why are you still on the road? Why are you still here? He says, nobody yet has picked me to come and work in the vineyard. So at 5 o'clock, he hires the last crew of guys to come and work. And so then it gets to the end of the day. It's, the end of the day is at 6 o'clock. How many of you would love to get picked at 5? So that, that's the one time in your life getting picked late is going to work for you. Because the guys, there were guys that were picked early in the morning, and it says that they fought the heat. They fought all day long. They worked hard. So what he said, he says, okay, now give them their wages. Start with the last one hired and go to the first. So this is this principle where he says the first shall be last and the last shall be first. So they begin to pay the first one. And what he agreed was, was to pay each one one denarius. Okay? That was the terms. You're gonna, this, is the, this is what you're going to get. They all agreed to work it. And so if you've ever worked a job like that, it's like, hey, will you work today? You're going to get $100. Absolutely. So you know the terms ahead of time. So they start paying the last one first. They got hired on at 5 o'clock, and he gets that $100 bill. 
So the ones hired at eight o'clock in the morning, what's the first thing they think? Oh, it's going to end good for me. Because if he worked one hour, making $100 an hour wages, I've been sweating all day. So he goes through the, through the line. And you realize everybody gets paid the same wage. So they get furious. They get frustrated. They, it says that they start grumbling. And it says, you know, uh, you know it's, we don't think that it's fair. You know, the one who was hired last only worked for one hour, they said, and, they made a, and you made them equal to us. And we've had the burden of working all day in the sun. And he says, don't you know that I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Well, let me tell you what. God has the right to do whatever he wants in his kingdom. It doesn't matter if you were called first or you were called last. If you were chosen early on in your, in your childhood or you were chosen later in your lifetime. As long as you were chosen and you've been welcomed in, it's good enough for me. Now, I know a lot of us are super discouraged. I've talked to some of my brothers and said, man, I wish I would have known God earlier. I feel like I could have done more. All you can do is from the time you're hired to the time that the workday is done, be faithful in the time that you're given. I'll tell you what, you hire me at five, I'm going to be working like a champ. That whole hour, man, 100%, buddy. <laughs> One hour, blue, the, the, the work whistle blows and you're done. And the other guy's looking at you just, you know, you've had those days, right? But I think that we, if we are nearsighted and we don't understand God's kingdom and we don't understand his choosing, we'll get frustrated at people. It wasn't the worker's fault. It wasn't even the worker's choice. It was when God began to choose them. So if you're at the front or if you're at the end, to me it doesn't really matter. As long as you've been chosen and you're on His team. Hopefully you remember that illustration. Think about kickball. Man, I'm always that last guy. I would still rather be on the team than not to be on His team at all. John 15, 16, and we're going to look at verse 18 and 19 in the NIV. It says, but you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed. I'm talking about, Laura, this, this scripture I was thinking about, appointed. That means he puts or he places with significance, you know, you so that you might go and what? Bear fruit. There's a purpose behind it. He just said, I'm just going to place you here for an insignificant purpose. God always has a master plan at play. He doesn't say, hey, just sit here and just collect dust. Think that's what God does? That's what we do because we don't always see the purpose or the value in what He does or where He positions us or what He appoints us to do or what He calls us to do. But every single person He chooses, He calls for a significant purpose. Right? You realize that? Amen? You got that? Significance. Every single time. It says, so that you might go and bear fruit and fruit that will last and so whether, whatever you ask in the name of my Father, I will give you. Verse 18, it says, If the world hates you, keep this in mind that it hated me first. Verse 19, If you belong to the world, then the world would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That's why the world hates you. You know, I often think about this. Does the world really hate you? I know as people, it's so hard because we want to be friends with everybody, Right? We want to be accepted. Most of us don't say, hey, I want to be just looked down on today. I, just want, I, don't, want to be, I don't want to have a lot of friends. I want them to look negative on I me. Mean, nobody says that. I think deep down there's this desire to be liked by everybody. But what does this scripture say? It says that if we are of the world, then we will be loved by the world. But if we are of God, we will be hated by the world. 
Now, I'll tell you what. As time progresses, there's going to be more hatred towards Christians than there has ever been. And there's going to be a dividing line. Will you compromise and be like the world? Or will you stand as God's chosen people? There's going to be a challenge coming. I believe that, that, that there is already a time of where God is removing that lukewarm opportunity. You either stand with Christ or you're going to deny Him. So you better know what you believe. You better know what you stand on. You better know that you're chosen and that, he's, that He holds you in the palm of His hand. And you allow God to defend you rather than defending yourself. You proclaim the name of Christ versus rejecting the name of Christ for convenience or comfort or likability, right? So people like me, well, you know, Pastor No, it's just hard out there. Come on. Not when you're rejecting what you stand for. Jesus never rejected or gave up on the cross because He said it got too hard or got inconvenient. What did He do? Even unto death. Till He breathed his, life, his last breath. He knew that it would be worth it in choosing you. Deuteronomy 7, 7 through 9, it says, The Lord did not set His affections on you or choose you because you were more numerous than all the other people. So this is talking about the Israelites. For you were of the fewest people of all. Verse 8, But it was because the Lord loved you and kept His oath or His promise, He swore to your ancestors that He, that he brought you out of his, with His mighty hand and redeemed you from the land of slavery, from the power of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Know therefore that the Lord is your God is God. He is faith. He is a faithful God, keeping his covenant of love. Look at this, and we quote this all the time to a thousand generations of those who love him and keep his commandments. So I started thinking about this. I said, Why the heck does the book of Deuteronomy matter to us? He was talking about the people of Israel, but that last little promise that he makes right there to a thousand generations. So, Pastor Noe, this week I was thinking about this a thousand generations. How long is that? So my brain starts cranking up. It's like, what does that mean? Okay, so research shows that a, that a generation interval is based on the years between the parents and children's marriage. Like, so how long, you know, from the time they get married to the time that the kids get married, that, that is the equivalent of one generation. So I started looking at what the averages was for women, what the average was for men. So the average came to being 35 years. So we're doing simple math. How many people love math in here? Man, only a few. Okay, let me break it down real easy for you because nobody loves math. I was thinking about this. So 35 years is the equivalent of one generation. So the book of Deuteronomy was written in 1428 B.C. Okay, so then if we look at 1428 B.C. to 2021, so that's 2021 plus 1428 equals 3,449 years since the, the time the book of Deuteronomy was written. Okay, so then if you divide that, you okay? If somebody's drooping, bump them for me. So then if you divide that number by 35 years, which is the average of one generation, we're only at 98.5 generations have passed since the day this book was written. But how long does it say? For a thousand generations. So what was this context saying? It said this thing is going to last forever. So it still applies to us today. We're only 98 years in or 98 generations in, but it says a thousand generations. Okay, so this this passage God was saying was pretty much a covenant love forever. So do you realize that God not only chose you, but he created you? Right. He, he had a purpose. He had a plan. So, you know, this passage, we looked at it last week, but let's look at it a little bit more in, in the context. We're going to look at the New Living Translation this morning, but Psalms 139, 14 through 18. It says, thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. 
You ever tell your wife that? Man, I'm so glad God has made you wonderfully complex. New Living Translation. That could be a good thing, right? Maybe. All right. So it says, your workmanship, your workmanship is marvelous. How, how well I know it. Verse 15. You watched me as I was being formed in utter seclusion, as I was woven together in the dark of the womb. You saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. Verse 17, how precious are your thoughts about me? You mean God thinks about me? Oh God, they cannot be numbered. I can't even count them. They outnumber the grains of sand. And when I wake up, you are still there with me. But God didn't just choose you. He knew you. He formed you. He, he, saw, he saw the beauty in you before anything even came to be. It says, before I was even born. So how in the world does that work? Before I was born, God knew me. Jeremiah 1.5, it says, Before I formed you, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. So in this passage, it's talking directly about Jeremiah the prophet. But let me tell you what, if Jeremiah could be foreknown you know, to God, guess what? We can be foreknown to God. It wasn't that just Jeremiah was the only one God saw. He saw all of us. But it says that even before, I knew you. He knew what you would struggle with. He knew the giftings. He knew the callings. And he chose you accordingly. He knew us. We are all important and precious to God. Do you realize that this is why it's so difficult to be a Christian and to support abortion? All right, hold on with me. Don't walk out yet, okay? Many people justify why abortion is okay, but let's look what Scripture says. I don't because I, I don't want to take a side left or right. Let's see what Scripture says. Jeremiah twenty two three through five in the NIV. It says, "This is what the Lord says." So this is not Noe. This is not my perception. This is not Harvest Time Church. This is what the Lord says. He says, "Do what is right and just. Rescue from the hand of the oppressor the one who has been robbed. Do no wrong or violence to the foreigner." the fatherless or the widow, and do not shed innocent blood in this place. Looks a lot like abortion to me. Innocent blood. It was never the baby's fault. Any way you cut it, any way you look at it. It says, do not shed innocent blood. And here's the, here's the Lord's response. He says, For if you are careful to carry out these commands, then the king who sits on David's throne will come through the gate of this palace, riding in chariots and on horses, accompanied by their officials and their people. So that's a blessing. That's a good thing. But it says, But if you do not obey these commands, declares the Lord, I will swear by myself that this place will become a ruin. I need to go down that list or you can look it up later on your own. Shedding of innocent blood is on there. Why? Because our destiny and our purpose matters to God. There's always significance. There's always purpose, even when it doesn't work out. But what about this situation? I don't care the situation. Life is life. Innocent blood is innocent blood. It doesn't matter which way you look at it. But that's what Scripture says. God has chosen you. But the question really remains, will you choose Him? Right? He, wa he wants you. He loves you. He chose you. Will you choose Him? You know, one of the most powerful testimonies is the redemptive story of when humanity chooses their Creator. Right? God has chosen us, and we must choose Him. 
There's the condition there. You know, when we get to heaven, it wasn't about if God wanted us or not. It's based on our response. Did we choose Him? Did we want Him? Did we respond to that choosing? You know, I believe that everybody gets the opportunity in their lifetime that their heart is drawn to God. I mean, think about it. I mean, most of us are here because of a byproduct of the Lord drawing us. Nobody comes to me unless what? The Father draws them. So if the Father doesn't draw them, they have no opportunity to come to the knowledge of Christ. So it would not be fair for God to never draw each person and just condemn them to hell. You putting two and two together? That, there ha- that there's this opportunity in our life where God draws. Now, it may be a moment that God drew you and you said, oh, no, no, I'm about my business. I'm sitting on the throne of my own heart. You can go on. But those who yield their heart to the Lord when, the, when God knocks and He draws their heart and receives them in shall what? Have eternal life. This is the hope and promise in which we have in Christ. That those who believe and confess in Him shall have everlasting life. So God chooses you. Will you choose Him? Can you imagine this concept of God saying, I created you, but I also wanted you. I know the enemy of this world, the first thing that he's going to do is talk against that. He's going to make you think that you are not valued, that you're not useful, that you're not good enough, and that you're insignificant, and probably that you were a mistake. So if you believe that lie today, you are, con- you know, you are contradicting almost every scripture that I've read to you this morning, if you believe that lie. Right? But how many of our attitude and our responses and how we act reflects that we've believed that lie? You're, yeah? I'm being real. I mean, I, I, mean, I feel like that, that a majority of us, that's, that's the battle we face. We believe the lie rather than God's truth. And when we do that, it causes our perception and our mindset and our focus to be twisted. And we will never be all that God has called us to be. We will be a people of insignificance. Even though we've been chosen, we'll be searching out this life trying to figure out what God has called us to do. That's one of the biggest reasons I feel like this year God just doesn't want us to focus on people in who you are, but He also wants us to focus on purpose, which really defines what we're created to do. Right? I said last week, 1 Timothy 2, 3-4, through 4, it says, you know, you are part of a chosen people. Remember last week, you know, we said God our Savior is a God who wants all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. That's the God we serve. All people. He wants all of us. He wants the ones outside of the four walls of this church. This is not it, right? You, gotta, you have to realize God's kingdom perspective. This is not it. Well, I guess God didn't want anybody else. No! We've got to have a kingdom perspective. We've got to be co-laborers with Christ and go out to those four and far places, those inconvenient places, and bring in the one to love on the people. You know, I often think of how much of Jesus' ministry was spent outside the church. majority of it was. They met in the synagogue, which was the church, but a lot of that time was spent out with the one. He was at a well, or he was in the city, or he was just walking around about, and, you know, as he would pass by, people would have needs, and guess what? He met those needs. It's the kind of God he was. Look at this next passage. So this is really a hard reality and a truth, but God, God wants all people 
to be saved. But this is the reality. Matthew 7, 13 through 14 in the NIV. It says, even, even through the narrow gate. It, 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 it says, enter in through the narrow gate. It says, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction and many f- enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow is the road that leads to life and only a few find it. So when we look at that passage, the, the harsh reality is many will go to hell. Many will not choose Christ, even though they've been chosen. It says narrow is that gate. Narrow is the way that leads to life. But brought, And think about it. Think about culture. Pretty wide. Anything's acceptable. Hey, all places lead to the same God. No, it doesn't. It's not through the cross and it's not through Jesus. You can enter through the wrong gate. Pretty simple. There's only one way to heaven, and that's through the Son. Can't jump in the back. You can't go through the, you can't, you can't sneak in. There's only one gate, and there's only one way. But it says narrow is the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. So we have to realize that that is a real reality. But I tell you what, I sure would like to let everybody know and give everybody a chance. Well, what if they've already heard the gospel once? Man, maybe this next time it'll stick. Maybe this next time it'll work. But all the days of my life, I'm going to continue to proclaim the goodness of the Lord. Every moment I get. Revelations 3, 9 through 20. So I'm just going to kind of talk about some of these scriptures, you know, that really give us some perspective. Uh, 19 through 20, it says, those, those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. Man, how many of you ever came to church and feel like you've been rebuked or dis- disciplined? It's because he loves you. God does not like rebellious children. You know, I think, I think rebellious children often reflect the parents. Right? Yeah. Even though you're like, man, I've been whooping them, Pastor Noe. I've been doing everything I can to make them walk straight. It's still a reflection of the parents. God sees the same way. Us as his children are a reflection of him. And if he doesn't bring that rebuke or that discipline or that guidance that in our life that we need, it reflects him in a negative way. But what does it say? Oh, I love those I rebuke and discipline. So make sure if you've never been rebuked or you've never been disciplined, do you know the Father? If He's never pinpointed something in your life, do you really know Him and does He really love you? It's not my, fault. It's not my position to step on your toes, but the Scripture will do it for me, I promise. Because my, my goal and my job is to present the truth of God's Word to you. Well, that pastor, it ain't that pastor. That Scripture is what it did. Let's keep going right there. So it says, so be earnest and repent. So that's our response. It says in verse 20, here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and I will eat with that person and they with me. We also have to understand that God is the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the last. Revelations 22, 12 through 13. It says, look, I am coming soon. My reward is with me. I will give to each person according to what they have done. Now the key here is did God ever know you? Does He know you? Does He have a relationship with you? Okay, verse 13, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Matthew 7, 21 through 23, verse 21, it says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Verse 22, this is a scary scripture. It says, many who will say on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not drive out demons in your name and perform many miracles? Verse 23, then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. So this is all about relationship. 
You realize there's power in the name of Jesus even if you don't know Jesus? That's the only way that scripture works. That at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that He is Lord. At the name of Jesus, demons shudder and shake. Every time Jesus was face to face with a demonic spirit, says that they bowed, they knew, they knew who He was. And that name holds just as powerful, even if you don't know Him. Scary scripture. So if you're just banking on, hey, I prophesied, hey, I drove out demons, look, I performed miracles, but you don't know Him, you won't get in. Pretty simply put, right? But, but causes us to ask that question. He chose us. Have I chosen Him? Does He know me? So it's not about what you know, but it's about who you know. Do you realize that? I, I, man, I remember having friends at work. They could quote Scripture, but they lived lives like hell. Like, I'm serious. I was like, man, like how, you know, and they could flip a switch. I started talking about the Bible. All of a sudden they go to their, their Bible teachings. All of a sudden it's like, man, how in the world do you know so much Scripture but yet have not been changed by it? Because you're being a hearer, you're not being a doer. It's all head knowledge. It's not heart transformation. This only happens in the choosing as you were chosen. You got that? He chose you. He wanted you. He loved you. He said, whatever the cost. And even his son, absolutely, even his son. Whatever it cost, he chose you. But to respond, you have to choose him. I'm closing right now, okay? I want you to say this with me. Say, God has chosen me. God has chosen me. Say it one more time. God has chosen me. Say, God wanted me. And I want you to say this. God still wants me. You tell yourself that sometimes, I think. Even on your bad days, even when you lose it and you don't reflect His image as much as, as you need to, that you would know He chose you. God wants you and He still wants you. I think a lot of us have grown weary sometimes from... Remember I talked about that point in our life where we come to knowledge of Christ and we come to that relationship. You know, at the, at the beginning of the service, I shared that scripture talking about the joy of our salvation. The joy of our salvation. It says, restore to me, Psalms 51, restore to me the joy of my salvation. Do you remember that moment when you came to knowledge of the Lord for the first time? Man, you wanted everyone to get saved. You wanted to tell everybody about it. You were excited. You know, that shouldn't be something that dies as we get older and mature. And we just say, oh, you know, you know, I've just gotten older. I've just been a little more realistic. Are we not nearly as passionate about God today as we were when we came to the knowledge of who He is? Guess what? It's the same story. There's the same power in the cross every single day of our lives. It didn't just happen on that moment of salvation and stop, but this testimony of what He's accomplished in the earth is ongoing for all eternity. You realize that? You guys stand up with me. He has, cho he has chosen you. Will you choose Him today? I want you to understand today that even before you were born, God chose you and He wanted you.
Look at look at my look at my eyes real quick. He wanted you. Amen. Give me just a second. I'm gonna look at every single one of you. All right, I'm good over here. You guys are good. Let me keep going. It's a lot of eyeballs looking back at me. When I look at he wanted you, Derek, he wanted you. Robert, he wanted you. Laura, he wanted you. Matt, he wanted you. Jimmy Don, he wants you. Even to this day, buddy, to be all that God has called you to be. Make my way. I think I'm good here. See you right there. Wanted you. Anybody hiding? Come over here. Making my way over here. He wanted each and every single one of you. And that's what God wanted you to know today. You said, man, I, I didn't know if I should come today. It was kind of cold. It would have been a convenient morning to say, you know what? It's kind of cold, Pastor Noe. I'm just going to stay home today. But the one thing I want you to know before you leave this place, God chose you and he wanted you. And he's glad you're here this morning because he wants to express his love to you in a radical kind of way. He wants, he wants that excitement and that zeal, the joy of your salvation to be just as exciting today as it was the first moment you came to know him. Now, some of you today may say, Pastor Noe, I don't know nothing about that. I've never been that excited about Christ. But then you might know, not know the Christ that I know that will radically shake every area of your life and you cannot help but become more Christ-like. So I'm going to pray over you. If there's anything that we can pray specifically for you, we got prayer team leaders, we got people available this morning that can pray for you. But I just want you to receive this morning that you would know that you're chosen and that God wants you. And then when you leave, when you walk out of this threshold, when you leave this, this building, that you would be ever so mindful of that. And never forget that. Amen. If some of y'all need some of that this morning, just understanding who you are in Christ, just lift your hands up to me. Lift your hands up to the Lord. Just, just lift them up and say, Lord, I, I need to know who I am. I desire to know who I am. I want to know who I am in you. All the promises. Father, this morning I pray against the lies of the enemy that has spoken against identity, that has spoken against purpose. Lord, that today that you would show your people who they truly are. Father, that you chose them, that you created them before they even their heart beat for the first time, God, that there was purpose and a plan and a destiny. And Father, to this day, you are still choosing us. You've never grown weary of desiring us, God. So Father, as you have chosen us today, God, I choose you. You mean that, say that, I choose you. Father, I pray for each one here, Lord, that you'd bless them. Father, that you'd strengthen them. Father, that their hope would be in you. Father God, I pray that if there's someone in this room that has never been drawn by you, I pray now, now that you would begin to do your work, God. That you would draw their hearts to you. That they would know the hope and the promise that we have in you. Father, I thank you for who you are, for all that you're doing, and all that is yet to be done. Father, it's not over until we breathe our last. So, Father, every single day, help us to choose you as you always choose us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 
Thank you for joining us for the Harvest Time Church podcast. We hope you've been encouraged and empowered. If you'd like more information about our family, please write us at 42 FM 2540 South, Bay City, Texas 77414. Or check us out on the web at harvesttimebaycity.com.